Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. New Abolitionist Radio is an award-winning podcast started in 2012 to bring awareness to legalized slavery and human trafficking in the United States preserved by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. This issue is often inadequately referred to as mass incarceration, legalized slavery through prisons, jails, and detention facilities, and the mistreatment of those incarcerated in them constitute severe human rights violations per the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, especially its prohibition on all forms of slavery. Before we get started with tonight's or today's podcast, whenever you're listening to it, um, excuse me, I got to get used to, I'm no longer doing live programming at this time, but instead doing pre-recorded podcasts because of a lack of staffing. All right, so, but before I get into that, I just want to apologize. Over the past few weeks, there has not been a broadcast or a podcast of new abolitionist radio. Um, the we went through a number of get of guest hosts since our beginning, and because of commitments getting in the way, and then some personal issues, we have unfortunately lost our other hosts, our most recent hosts. But I don't want to really get into the reasons why, but also want to point you to the fact that when you don't have resources to hire people to pay people for their time for their expertise it's hard to get them to stick around um you know all the years that i've been managing the black talk media project and the black talk radio network the black talk media project has never had a budget uh, that affords me to even pay myself a salary for all the work that we put in so i do want to apologize that you know we have not been broadcasting live programming or doing any podcast um but you know i'm still here and i'll do the best that i can moving forward to at least put out a podcast on this very important issue at least once a week maybe more and some of those may just be short podcasts about stories you need to hear about or or events that's happening like last week or last friday where you had family members and uh, prison slavery abolitionists travel up to Washington, D.C. to stage a rally and a press conference uh, calling out the Department of Justice to follow up on its report that Al- the state of Alabama is seriously abusing the constitutional rights of those incarcerated in those states. I put out a short podcast on that hopefully in the future i'll be able to talk to someone who participated in that perhaps one of the uh uh press officers that was related to that event we'll try to get them on uh in the past all right so that's what's been going on uh with us please remember that your donations to black talk media project are tax deductible um we do have bills to pay And we're really struggling right now just to 
keep all our operations online and on air. Um, this isn't free. Uh, we're not on YouTube um, utilizing that free service or any of the other uh, free services. When you maintain an independent platform, that means that you have to pay for all of the resources that you need uh, to to associate it with the functioning of that platform. So um, we are in our 10th year. November will mark the start of our 11th year. And I just really, I'm going to be honest with you, I really don't know if we're going to make it um, that far unless our donations uh, come up. All right, so in the meantime, let me give you today's topic for this podcast. Uh, I titled it Policing Identity Politics Versus Justice. Now, on this podcast, I'm going to focus mainly or primarily on police stories, on slave catchers and their brutality and misconduct uh, towards American citizens. And so, one t- and why am I talking about identity politics? Because identity politics is where people want you to pander to them. And I'm using that word uh, in its correct, uh, using its correct definition or context. They want you to pander to them on racial, on racial identity or whatever your identity may be. You may be um, belonging to a certain class and you want to, you know, be pandered to with class identity and what have you. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about identity politics versus justice. Now, justice doesn't matter what color you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what color the person is that um, we intend to help. Um, as they say, justice should be blind. It, it shouldn't see any skin color. It should just see right versus wrong. And, you know, early on, especially after the Ferguson Rebellion, um, we've had people who have come forth with with policy suggestions on how to tamp down on the mistreatment of the black community as it relates to policing. And they said that, well, we just need more cops of color. We just need more black cops. And that will solve the problem. But that is not a logical uh, um, conclusion. And it's ignoring the facts on the ground. Okay. And there has been some research into that that shows, and I'll share it later, that shows that black and Latino, let's just call them non-white cops, are more likely to shoot non-white people than white cops. And, you know, I've gotten pushback uh, in the past for pushing against the white cop narrative, the racist white cop narrative. Like, all of these white cops are motivated by racism. And, but, well, then what's motivating all these non-white cops to kill people? And I'm not trying to dismiss the element of racism, especially since policing is a part of 21st century slavery and human trafficking. But my position is... I don't care about the skin color of a slave catcher. A slave catcher is as a slave catcher does. And I'm not going to get distracted or caught up um, in the skin color. I want justice. I don't want more black cops. I want justice in that arena. So that's what we'll, I'll be focusing on um, during this podcast. I have um, about three or four stories to share with you, news articles to share with you. But before I do that, I came across an article earlier this week titled, Sure, Black People Can Be Racist Too. And it's a CNN article that was written by John, I think his name is John Blake. Uh, yeah, John Blake, uh, writing for CNN. He basically did an interview of a young black scholar by the name of Ibram X. Kendi. And he has a book out titled How to Be an Anti-Racist. And so in, in, his, in this interview, he talks about how black people are not powerless to be racist, um, especially if they're upholding racist policies. Okay? So let me just share some of his words because I think it, it just 
really fits into what I want to um, put out there for you on this podcast. Now, he says that there's a popular belief that people of color can't be racist because they don't have enough power. Racism, the thinking goes, transcends prejudice. It's a system of advantage based on race, and people of color don't have the institutional power to oppress others. But Ibrahim X. Kendi systematically demolishes this notion in his provocative new book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Kendi, a lean man with long dreads and encyclopedic knowledge of Western history, says the notion that black people can't be racist is tainted by racism itself. Kendi states, like every other racist ideal, the powerless defense underestimates black people and overestimates white people, Kendi says. So generally, white people say, I'm not racist, and black people say, I can't be racist. There's a similar form of denial that is essential to the life of racism itself. You have black people who believe that they can't be racist because they believe that black people don't have power, and that's blatantly not true. Every single person on earth has the power to resist racist policies and power. We need to recognize that there are black people who resist it, and there are some who do not because of their own anti-black racism. And then you have black people, a limited number, who are in policy-making positions and use those policy-making decisions to institute or defend policies that harm black people. If those people were white, we would be calling them what they are, racist. If they're black, they're no different, they're racist. Now, some years ago, I coined the term called proxy racism, and that seems to be what he's talking about here. When I say proxy racist, I'm meaning that you have non-white people that act in the community as proxies of racist white people or a racist power structure, okay? And those people have been empowered. Yes, black people have power, which they derive from the government, granted, but they do have power to practice racism or uphold racism. And so I just wanted to share that with you and, and his thoughts on you as I share these stories concerning black cops abusing people in the community and why I feel like it's counterproductive to paint the white cop as the poster child as, as it relates to slave catching in the black community. Because most black communities, especially in urban areas, they have far more black cops than they have, and may even have black, black police chiefs and black detectives, again, black people in positions of authority than what you will find in rural areas where you have predominantly um, white people. And I do live in one of those rural areas, and yes, there are black cops, but not that many, not that many. Um, so anyway... Moving on to the stories. Here's here is the first story that caught my eye. I mean, it's it's just very terrible. Um, a school police officer was fired for arresting and handcuffing two six year old students. And you may have seen this story. It pretty much went viral on social media. And at first, you know, it was reported it was a six year old black girl who was handcuffed and fingerprinted and 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 process at a juvenile detention uh, facility. But it came out later that this black cop also arrested a six-year-old black boy, although details related to why, as if there is a, a logical reason or a legitimate reason why you would arrest a six-year-old child, you know. Um, but um, we don't have the details on the black boy, the six-year-old black boy's arrest. So I'm going to share this article with you from BuzzFeedNews.com. A Florida police officer has been fired after he arrested two six-year-old students at their school on suspicion of misdemeanor battery charges, prompting outcry and an internal investigation. Orlando Police Chief Orlando 
Rowland said Monday that the incident made him sick to his stomach, especially when he found out the children, students at Lucius and Emma Nixon Academy had been put in the back of a squad car. When I first learned about this, we were all appalled and we could not fathom the ideal of a six-year-old being put in the back of a police car. Roland said at a news conference, it's still shocking to us to have something like this happen was completely and totally a surprise to all of us. Well, you know, I can't comment on what is surprising to another individual. I don't know this individual. I don't know their background and what have you, but it's not surprising to activists who have long paid attention and, and sounded the alarm on the school to prison pipeline. Officer Dennis Turner had been working as a school resource officer at the charter school when he arrested the first graders during separate incidents, handcuffing them with zip ties and taking them to the station, the chief said. Department officials immediately suspended Turner Turner and launched an investigation. Roland explained that there's a policy that strictly, strictly prohibits officers from arresting children under the age of 12 unless they receive approval from a manager. The police previously said that one of the children was eight years old, but on Monday the chief corrected that mistake and said they were both six years old. It was clear today when I came into work that there was no other remedy than to terminate this officer. Now this is a, this officer, let me see if they, um, mention his name. I might have mentioned his name already. Um I don't think this one has his name. Um but his his identity is out there. Yeah, Turner. I already said Dennis Officer Dennis Turner. Now this was a I think like a twenty something year um police veteran who did this. A black man who did this to black children. Not that it would have been right if he did it to Hispanic children, Native American children, white children, any child. This would be an egregious offense. But again, my focus of this podcast is to point out that it's not so simple as black and white when we're talking about policing, a.k.a. slave catching in the United States, that we have black people who get paid to police black bodies non-white bodies and many of these people because of whatever reason you can say some of it's training um but some of it is also just personal moral flaws they just simply uh don't care and are drunk on power like any other person drunk on power regardless of their uh skin color now um it says officer Dennis Turner had been working as a school resource officer at the charter school when he arrested the first graders during separate incidents, handcuffing them with zip ties and taking them to the station, the chief said. Um, I may have read that. I kind of lost my place, but uh, I- I'm glad that he has been fired. Now, this cop also um, has a background of abusing one of his own children. Um, he was investigated um, uh, for also he threatened a woman that is, I mean, threatened a man that his ex-wife had been dating and uh, put his hands on the man. It's, it's stating that he thumped him on the chest. Um, but um, yeah, so this guy has spent over 20 years in, in the police department and I hope he lost his pension. I hope they didn't allow him to, well, actually, he did retire. He, last June, Turner retired after 23 years of dedicated service and then at some point was brought on to the Forces Reserve Unit. So his pension is safe, okay? His pension is safe. But he was terminated as a reserve officer working uh, at, at these schools and what have you. All right, but, um, yeah, so that's the story that comes to you from Buzz feednews.com next article next article um this is out of, of ferguson another black cop now we know um that the cop I, what was the cop's name i can't think of darren something i can't remember his name that shot michael brown and again you know the narrative was the racist white cop and it was a racist white cop but they had plenty of black cops on that force too um that were standing by 
um, and participating in the uh, oppression of that community. You know, even the Justice Department put out a report on Ferguson and how they were systematically abusing the rights of black people in, in that community. And this was like a little small rural um, community, predominantly black, but they had white people there. And you, of course, the statistics in terms of traffic stops and fines and, and jailing people, um, black people were disproportionately suffering from all of those things. So um, now a Ferguson's officer's a Ferguson officer's history of abusive policing. This is an article that was published today, and it comes to you from KBIA. Uh, they put out a documentary special, um, and there is also a, a audio file that is on this page. By the way, you can find um, all of these articles linked up for you on my page, BTR News with Scotty T. Reed in BTR Community dot com our social media platform for the network all right so it starts off by saying in june 2014 walter rice was arrested by ferguson police for allowing his two and four-year-old sons to urinate outdoors at a city park the married father of four metro bus driver had never been in trouble with the law and had chosen a secluded place to let the boys relieve themselves in he nevertheless found himself charged with two counts of parental neglect. His wife was also arrested after their older child uh, attempted to film rights. And, and we do have a story regarding filming police, um, but the Ninth Circuit federal court, federal courts ruled, I think it was some time ago, it's been some years ago, that U.S. citizens and anybody in the United States has a right to record police while they conduct their duties in, in a public place. Um, I would imagine that would also apply if you come up in my house and I pull out my video camera um, and, and record the interaction. So, you know, it, the federal courts have already ruled that we have a First Amendment right to record police. So... I don't know if anybody has small children, but I have found myself uh, in a situation where, you know, your child says they have to use the bathroom. There's no bathroom uh, anywhere to be found, and you don't want them to urinate on themselves, and they're telling you the urgency of them needing to, to use the bathroom, and you do exactly what this man did. You do exactly what this this father did, and he was found. Um, he was uh, charged with two counts of parental neglect. Um, his wife was also arrested after their older child attempted to film Rice being taken away by police. Ratina Rice was charged with interfering with an officer, failing to signal, and three other low-level offenses. See, hey, they get you with these low-level offenses. See, it, it's part of the policing for for profit. You be like, oh, well, it's just a misdemeanor. Yeah, but it's taking money out your pocket. Okay. The case drew widespread outrage at the Rice's attorney, Javad Kazali, detailed their treatment in a lawsuit. But to Kazali, one of the most shocking facts was that the officer who arrested the couple, Eddie Boyd, black slave catcher, remained employed as a Ferguson cop despite a long history of similar allegations of abusive policing. He has been named in numerous of the lawsuits and even cited in the U.S. Department of Justice report into the Ferguson Police Department. On Thursday, St. Louis on Air, Kazil joined them in studio to talk about the many complaints about Boyd's behavior over the years and the fact that he was hired in Ferguson after complaints of misconduct as a St. Louis Metropolitan Police Officer. He also he also revealed that Boyd had recently left the Ferguson Police Department, probably, you know, like they do when they get fired or terminated or, or quit. They just go to another police department. And that is why we need a federal database of these dirty cops, of these corrupt cops, of these cops who abuse the rights of the citizens, they have been charged to protect, okay? 
But again, the Supreme Court ruled a long time ago um, in a lawsuit that police uh, are not required to to protect you. Um, it, what they're required to do is enforce the law. Okay, that protect and serve. Oh, that's just something they say. You can look that up. So um, again, I'll link to this full um, podcast or, or this article, which has this podcast that you can listen to. It's on kbia.org. Again, another black cop abusing black people. All right. Um, before I move on to the next article, I want to take a short break and uh, play this promo for you. Uh, one of the ways that you can support the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, which manages the Black Talk Radio Network, is by making a donation. Um, I mean, excuse me, by joining btrcommunity.com for just $24 a year. Um, and you'll hear that from this message. Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Scotty Reed sitting in behind the microphone. And if you think that it's constructive information on this podcast, by all means, please share it with others. Um, so let me uh, pull up the next article where you have, I'll also have some audio um, you had three Miami Police Department officers beat and falsely arrest Emmanuel David Williams, a black man. And they say all because he was legally recording them with his cell phone in front of his home. Now, if you watch to have opportunity to see the video, it pretty much confirms that 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 is exactly what happened. So let me give you some background. So apparently this black man, Emmanuel David Williams, living in Miami, from what I could garner, him and his girlfriend had split up and were having problems. And I don't know if if she went to the police or called the police, but called them to the apartment and he wasn't there to help remove something, uh, remove items from the apartment. Now, I don't have all the details on that. So then Mr. Williams comes home and he asked the cops, Hey, what's going on? Um, you know, what are you doing? This is my home. I'm not sure if it was an apartment or if it was a house. Um, but he said, he asked him what's going on. Um, then he starts to, to record and you can just listen to the rest of what happened. Officer Hernandez and Officer Allen, back. why are you in my face? Because we can't back. I'm, about, I'm, I'm more than 50 feet away from her. 50 you feet. Nobody else back. comes out of that house. I'm 50, feet, stay I'm back. 50 feet away you from her. You better stay back. Okay, let, let me stop it there. Now, he's saying he's 50 feet away from her. So, I don't know if there was a domestic violence or order. I don't know. I don't know, but that would be a logical thing to presume given the police presence. She's trying to remove things from the house. That doesn't mean that he did anything. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm, I just want to sh be share everything that I do know. So that's why the police are there. He's saying I'm, I'm 50 feet away from this woman. You know, um, why are you running up on me? So, and then you had the black cops. So 
it's a black cop and two Hispanic cops, non-white cops abusing non-white people. All right. So he's standing there recording and you heard, he said, well, why are you up in my face? And they, and the black cop says, cause we can be. Okay. So that gives you the type of thug mentality this particular officer has. Look at this guy. You I'm 50 feet away. I just zoomed in. Okay. I just zoomed in on him. All right. That's fine. Officer Gonzalez. Typical Spanish. That's name. fine. That's I'm, fine. I'm more than 20 feet away. That's fine. More than 20 feet away. That's fine. How you doing, sir? So if you put that phone in my face again, we're going to have a problem. Take the phone away from Why my face. Why can't I put it in your face? If you put it in my face again, we're going to have a problem. What's right the problem? there, you're fine. You do it again What's the, the same distance that you were, we're going to have a problem. What's the problem? What's the problem? My, my camera in your face. Are you trying to go to jail? What's the problem? No, I'm not to trying to go to jail. You are. I want you to do your job. Go ahead and step on the sidewalk over there, sir. Do it now. Go He's ahead and step on the sidewalk. I'm, I'm, I'm walking to the sidewalk right now. Walking to the sidewalk. Walking to the sidewalk. Three. Walking to the sidewalk. Walk into it. Walk into it. You guys are pressing me out. And stay there. Why am I walking to the sidewalk? Oh, hold on. I'm officially on the sidewalk. Now what? Now what? You follow me to the sidewalk. You follow me to the sidewalk. You follow me to the sidewalk. Do not put the phone in my face again, Oh, my God. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. You hear me? Get on the ground. Get on the ground. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Give me your hands. I'm not resisting. Give me your hands. I'm not resisting. I'm not resisting. Yeah, Give me the hand. Give me your hand. I'm not resisting. Told you about resisting. multiple times. I can't breathe. Now you want to dance. I can't breathe. Here we go. I can't That's breathe. You want it, right? I can't breathe. That's what you want, right? I can't, I can't breathe. breathe. So you want I walked over to the lawful oh order. I did what you told me to do, and I got it on camera. And I got it on camera. All right, I'm gonna stop it there. Well, that's the end of it, so I have no point but to uh, choice but to uh, stop it there. Now they charged this guy with resisting arrest without violence and and uh, not following orders, but the guy did everything that he was told to do. Now this this non-white Hispanic cop walks up to him while he's recording now and everybody know he's recording and the cameras right there. He walks up to this guy, probably just maybe two feet, if that much, uh, you know, um, away from the guy. And he's claiming that he's putting the camera in his face. No, this cop walked up to the camera. So then as you heard in, in from the audio or the video, they tell him to go across the street to get up on the sidewalk. So he does that. He, he, and he, and he, you know, narrates as he's backing up and doing exactly what they said. So the Hispanic cop who said, don't put the phone in my face, then walks right up to him again and then claims that he put the camera in his face. And then, um, you could hear them violently, um, grab this man and throw him to the ground. Now he's reporting that while he was on the ground, they also punched him in the head several times and that he's suffering from con uh, possible concussion and that he's going to the hospital to get treatment and saying that, you know, um, he was surprised that after the cops slapped the camera or his phone out of his hand, that it was able to continue to record and capture that information. So I say to you again, black cop, white cop, Latino cop, slave catcher is as a slave catcher does in skin color, doesn't matter. And I know there's been some people within the abolitionist movement that have expressed a problem with me saying that. I don't see skin color when it comes to slave catchers. I see whatever the color of their uniform is, I see their badges, I see their guns, I see their tasers, I see their nightsticks, I see their canines. Not looking at their skin color, that's irrelevant. Because a slave catcher is as a slave catcher does, and slave catchers are brutal. And that is what was caught here on, uh, on video of these three slave catchers, non-white slave catchers, brutalizing um, this black man even though he followed orders. Okay. So again, let's not get caught up in the white cop versus black cop. 
like Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. said, who was a counter-racist uh, author, your skin color means nothing if you don't believe in practicing justice. And I, I have to say, you know, I agree with that 100% wholeheartedly. Now, I'm going to close out with this story about this article that came out um, back in 2018, which is based on this research um, about black cops. And here's the title. It comes from psmag.com. Black cops are just as likely as white cops to kill black suspects. And it's important to know that. You know why it's important to know that, especially as a black or non-white person? Because you might have a black cop pulling you over and you think, oh, this is a brother man or, or this is sister girl. Um, yeah, I ain't got to worry about now. I'm going to let my guard down, be loose with them and all this and that. And uh, research suggests that, you know, um, that's not the case and you shouldn't let your guards down. All right, so black cops are just as likely as white cops to kill black suspect. New research suggests a culture of bias is a bigger problem than individual racist officers. So this goes back to what Ibrahim X, um, the scholar, young scholar I was uh, uh, talking about at the beginning of this program. If we're dealing with institutional racist policing, then these black cops, non-white cops are empowered. They have power right? They do. Anybody going to argue that cops don't have power than the average person on the street? And they use that power to uphold racism in policing. These are the first, the slave catcher is the first person you come in contact with before you enter into slavery. Okay? And we should understand that. And I'm talking modern day prison slavery. So let me let me just go ahead and get into this article as we get ready to wrap up this podcast. When a white police officer fatally shoots a black man, angry acquaintances often assume the tragedy was triggered by a racist cop. Pew Research report new research reports that while some officers may be driven by personal prejudice, the bias that can serve as a catalyst for killings is more institutional than individual. White officers do not kill black suspects at a higher rate compared with non-white officers, concludes a research team led by Charles Minifield, dean of the School of Public Affairs and Administration at Rutgers University, Newark. The killing of black suspects is a police problem, not a white police problem. So again, this speaks to those who I hope have since changed their views that a solution to the problem of police brutality is to just hire more black cops to police the black community. Well, you already got that and you still have it. And, and the reason that people adopt this view is because, and let's just be real about it. I'm always going to be real with you, with the audience, the mainstream media sensationalizes a lot of these cases and they profit from reporting these stories about racism. So why it may not even be a racist element involved, they want to highlight the fact that you had a white cop shoot a black, black person. How often do you see stories, even though, according to this research, black and non-white cops are more likely to shoot black people because of their proximity in policing these communities, they're more likely to shoot a black person, but you really don't see a whole lot of mainstream corporate media reports on this. It's not going to be really highlighted by CNN. It's not going to be highlighted by MSNBC. It's not really going to be highlighted by the big corporate networks because they thrive off of sensationalism. Racism is profitable in more ways than one. So that's why many people have adopted the view that the problem is white people when it comes to policing. No, the problem is injustice and unjust immoral people who are drunk on power and, and, and abuse that power in abusing citizens. 
So Minifield and his colleagues constructed a database of all confirmed incidents in which deadly force was used by police in the United States during 2014 and 2015. It includes detailed information on both the officer and victim. Not surprisingly, they found a huge racial disparity when it comes to who gets killed by officers while only about 13% of the American population is black, they write, 28% of people killed by police are black. Okay? So that means what? 68% of the people who are being killed, did I do the, do the math right? 68? Or is it 80? 88? No, it's 60. 70, 72. Okay? 72% of the people who get killed by police are white. And we play this down. And I feel like we play this down to our detriment. I say, just like the skin color of the slave catcher doesn't matter, the skin color of the victim shouldn't matter as, uh, either. Not if you're aiming for justice. And also, if you're being codified in describing a problem and not racializing it to where you can appeal to more people that this is a problem that requires a collective solution, then you only, you only alienate would be allies to stop police brutality by making it seem like it's only about black people when it's not. Again, we just um, had research come out that say that cops are the sixth leading cause of death of young men in the United States. They didn't say black men, they didn't say white men or Hispanic men. It said young men. Young men between the ages of 18 and I think 38, something like that. In, in their 30s or 35, somewhere around there. Police are the sixth leading cause of death. But again, what did the media do? The media come out with headlines that police are a leading cause of death among black people. Or black men. Sixth leading cause of death for black men. That's not what the study said. The study said the sixth leading cause of death of young men in the United States. So I feel like sometimes when we seek to, to racialize things, even when there's a racial element, we're not being codified. We're not being strategic in how we talk about these issues. And of course, mainstream media Loves to delve into this in a way to generate a lot of clickbait because they profit from it, the advertisement and what have you. But it, but getting back to the article, 28% of people killed by police are black. The victims were overwhelmingly male, 95.5%. Again, that speaks to the study that police are six leading cause of death by young men, uh, of young men, in this country, and less than 1% were unarmed at the time. Now, in this regard, it says the gun could have been in the car or on them, but it was there at the time they were killed, Minifield noted. Um, now, I will point out on that is that, like he's saying, that doesn't mean that the weapon was in their hand and they were pointing it at them. I'm thinking of, um, what was his name, Orlando Castillo? who was sitting in the passenger seat of his girlfriend or fiance's car. And he informed the officer, a Hispanic cop that he was carrying and that he had a concealed carry permit. And then the cop asked him to see the permit. He goes for his wallet and the cop shoots him. Okay. So just because the gun was present doesn't mean that the person was being threatened. The cop was being threatened with the gun. And then how, how do we know that the cops didn't plan them? In some of these cases. So I, I just wanted to make that, that quick observation. The majority of officers in these situations were white. But this reflects the fact that America's police forces are disproportionately made up of whites who account for approximately three quarters of all officers. Crunching the numbers, the researchers report white police officers actually kill black and other minority suspects at lower rates than we would expect if killings were randomly distributed among officers of all races. So just like crime statistics, black people, when they talk about black on black crime, 
that's a racist trope because most people are victims of crime by people who look like them in their community. Crime is all is often about proximity and opportunity. So if you are a white person living in a predominantly white neighborhood, chances are you're if you're a criminal, you're going to criminalize somebody white because that's who's there. So I will also say that that applies to white people getting shot by cops, especially white males who get killed more than anyone. And we're talking raw numbers and not percentages. They're killed often by other white cops. So let me go on with the article. Crunching the numbers, the researchers report white police officers actually kill black and other minority suspects at lower rates than we would expect if killings were randomly distributed among officers of all races. In contrast, we find that non-white officers kill both black and Latino suspects at significantly higher rates than white officers they write. This is likely due to the fact that minority police officers tend to be assigned to minority neighborhoods and therefore have more contact with minority suspects. But if individual level racism isn't the issue, what is? Minifield and his colleagues make a strong argument that the fundamental problem is one of institutional culture. We believe that the disproportionate killing of black suspects is a downstream effect of institutionalized racism within many police departments they write at least in part disproportionate killing is a function of disproportionate police conduct contact among members of the african american communities in other words if a certain percentage of such encounters between the police and public end in tragedy the cops are more likely to come into contact with black citizens for instance ordering african american drivers to pull over at higher rates than whites it stands to reason that black civilians are at greater risk of ending up dead but that's not to say that other people aren't ending up dead at the hands of these cops. Blaming racist cops for this problem is emotionally satisfying, the article uh, states. It presents a clear villain and suggests an easy fix. Just weed them out. But this research suggests that the real problem is the entrenched set of biases and assumptions that pervade police forces, influencing the attitudes and actions of cops of all colors. Well, I want to add something to that that's missing from their their um, conclusions. How about the fact that slavery was never abolished and that slave catchers since the beginning of the British colonies and other European colonies in this country, you uh, the very first quote-unquote police forces were the slave patrols. And so this is rooted in 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And they seem to prefer males, although females have been uh, in, an increasing target for the prison population. They're, they're, they have the fastest growth rate in prisons than any other demographic, particularly um, black women. So that's also, I think, sh these researchers should include in their analysis is the fact that the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery. Slavery has all been, always been about producing profit off human bodies, and it is going on to this various day. Remember, the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights does not say there's only one form of slavery, which is we think of slavery in this country. We think of plantation slavery and chattel slavery and what have you. And when we talk about prison slavery, for the most part, that doesn't even enter into the minds of U.S. citizens. They think wrongly believe because of a lot of propaganda um, uh, putting this notion in their mind that the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, which it did not. Anything that says involuntary uh, servitude and slavery shall be abolished, except as punishment for crime. Well, if you understand English, if you comprehend English, then you should understand that that did not outright abolish slavery. Yeah, it ended plantation 
uh, uh, chattel slavery, but all it did was transform the system into a, a, a new form of slavery. It was simply a reset. Okay. All right. So that brings me to the end of my broadcast. Again, please consider my point. My point is not to minimize racism in these, in these encounters. My point is to create a multi, multi-racial, multi-ethnic resistance to this element that of policing that is slave catching part of 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And when we seek to racialize everything, like Mr. Full, I'm not the first person to say this, so I don't want anybody to think I'm coming up with a, a original thought. No, I just happen to agree um, with some thoughts that have already been put out there. Is that whenever you trying to counter racism, when you use a split, when you explicitly accuse people of racism and say, oh, this is racism, um, all of these police killings, it's all about the black men that's getting killed. No, 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 no. This is not the black community versus the slave catchers. This is U.S. citizens versus slavery in this country. So either you're abolitionist or you're pro-slavery. And that's all that matters to me. With that said, please consider making a donation to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. You can visit blacktalkradionetwork.com if, if you're listening to this podcast on a different platform. But on blacktalkradionetwork.com, just look for the uh, donate button that shows up on every page. Again, we are struggling to... to um, continue our operations. I really don't understand it when you have um, the amount of downloads and people visiting the website and, and downloading the podcast, which we don't charge people for, um, you know, and then the fact that we're a nonprofit, I would think that we have more, we will have more donations since people can recoup that um, in their taxes. But I'm just, I'm not complaining. I'm just stating a fact. If you want to see Black Talk Radio Network and, and the various podcasts and programming to continue, then please make a donation today. That said, peace and blessings to all. Be safe out there. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom.